All right, welcome. We're here to talk about the Gospel of Mark. We're in the 14th chapter. We're nearing the end of this uh, fast-moving Gospel. However, we have come to the longest of all of the chapters uh, in Mark. Um, we sometimes talk about how you know, Mark is a short Gospel, but <laughs> the reason maybe some of the chapters, uh, the reason the whole Gospel seems short is because some of these chapters are just extremely long. Um, so we're going to try our best to you know, work through all 70-something verses uh, here in this particular chapter today. So that means there may be there may be some observations and things that we, you know, just... Uh, gloss over. Yeah, gloss over and don't get to touch on that maybe we would like to. But just for continuity's sake and for our recordings, we're going to just try to work through this in in chunks. There are yes. these, these different little episodes throughout the... Uh, and, and they're very familiar episodes. Is the other thing about Mark 14 is we're not we're not covering any any new territory. Even people who are very ignorant of the Bible know some things about you know the betrayal of Jesus and the arrest of Jesus and Definitely. those things. So so that's what we're working with. Are you There's ready? some hard hitting stuff in here. Yes, I am ready, and and we're just going to try to pull out the the hardest hitting stuff from these texts. All right, so let's start. Mark 14 verse one. He was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, uh, d depending on what kind of a calendar you're working with and so forth, I I'm thinking this is talking about Tuesday uh, of, of the final week. Yeah. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So, th there is this plot that has been ongoing for some time to... Um, to, to catch Jesus in his in his words, catch him in saying something that would, you know, enable them to destroy him, uh, and so that's been cooking, and it's still cooking. But there's at least this consideration of, oh well, we need to go about this in a very sneaky manner because <laughs> we sure wouldn't want to do something that's going to cause troubles during, you know, feast week. It's the feast of unleavened bread, the Passover. Those are like big highlights on the Jewish religious calendar. And not to mention, there's a lot of people in Jerusalem at this point. Yeah. People are coming from all over the, the you know, the, the the known world at that point to converge on Jerusalem. If you were a Jew, this was an important week for you. So there's like more people in Jerusalem than normal. And so we gotta figure out how to kind of work around these people because Jesus has a lot of followers, a lot of people who like him. Uh, and the last thing we want to do is, you know, incite a riot. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, we saw when Jesus rode in on the, the donkey in the beginning of, of this whole episode in Jerusalem. Yeah. There were tons of people that were all about him, so you know at least you're gonna have to deal with those type of folks. Yeah, so it's like part of you wants to say, all right, I appreciate these guys wanting to to, to maintain some decorum during the, the Holy Week, but there's just something so icky about this. Well, it's it's the reason that the icky thing is because this comes, this is just them. This is yeah. for them. This, this has is, been their mo. This is self-interest. I mean, the, it's the whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside of them. Like, yeah. They, the only reason they care about not disturbing the people, it's not that they don't really have a concern for the people. Right. They, they, want, they want their parade, their religious opera, to go off without a hitch. That's and then, right. And then they're going to do what they're, they're wanting to do. Well, so we then read in verse 3. Let's pick up. This is the, the account of Jesus being anointed at Bethany. Uh, and Bethany would have been just a small little town just right outside of Jerusalem. 
And this is also the, uh, the town where Jesus' three very close friends live, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I bring that up because uh, there's a, uh, a character that's not mentioned by name here uh, that John tells us in his account uh, is Mary. And yes. we believe that to be the same Mary that was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So verse 3, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and here's another guy, we don't know a whole lot about this guy, Apparently, and, and this would be, I think this is a, a necessarily inferred, this is a man that had been a leper and that Jesus had probably healed at some point along the way. Uh, and I say that he had to have been healed because there he's, would not be a bunch of people in his house. So he's there. Him. Yeah, he's there. Um, and so as Jesus was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. This is just, that's a long way of just saying, like really expensive perfume, very costly. And she broke the flask and she poured it over his head. Like I said, John chapter 12, verse 3 tells us that this is Mary. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Hmm. So let's imagine here, we got, we got the disciples of Jesus. They see Mary come in. She, she cracks open this, this perfume, this oil, and she anoints Jesus. Um, she does it for a specific purpose, and we'll, we'll, we'll see why here in just a second. Um, and they're just giving her a hard time about this. Like, you know, what, what is she doing this for? That's, that's such a waste. I mean, that's, that, you could have sold that for 300 denarii. There's a tradition that before the Passover, what was a common custom was that people did generous deeds for the poor. Yeah. Uh, not really sure what's the origins of that or what was uh, all about that, but maybe that was part of, 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 of the discussion here with the disciples. Hey, that, that could have been used to give to some poor people. What's interesting, though, to note here is from John's account in John chapter 12. It's Judas. It's Judas. John yeah. 12, verse 4, Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who's about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So th think about this. All right, Judas is the one who, who says this, but when we couple it with Mark's account, we see Judas having this leavening influence where his negative attitude and his just ungodly mindset towards stuff it gets the other disciples worked up yeah. because here in Mark it says they were saying this. Yeah, they may not themselves. have the same motivation. As Maybe Judas, not, but still, it does incite this. It's a negative influence. Yeah, yeah, and and so it doesn't go all the way down necessarily. You know, they're not looking to uh, help themselves with the money bag, but they are. They're they're opposing something that Jesus would approve of because yeah. of this guy's just terrible attitude. Yes, and so uh, so Judas is the one who initially stirs the pot with all of this and as a result he got he got several of these disciples now, you know, really kind of speaking out of ignorance if nothing else uh, and scolding her. The moral of that story, unleaven yourselves or you'll affect everybody around you. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jesus jumps in here though. He is not going to take this lying down. Verse 6, Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, 
And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So and it Jesus, just was. Th that's right. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're still talking about the, the beautiful deed that she did. Jesus says that she did this uh, being mindful of his burial. Yeah. Now that, that, that strikes me because Jesus had been talking, you know, how many different times to the disciples, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to be raised from the dead, and they didn't get it. I don't think they thought that, that was really going to happen. Maybe that was just a metaphor for something. But Mary, whenever she was in Jesus' presence, and she hears him talking about he's going to be killed, and he's going to be buried, and he's going to be raised, Mary took it literally. She took what he said literally, literally. Yes. Uh, and so she does this as an act of preparation for burial, and that would have been a common thing that happened in, you know, when somebody was going to be buried, there was, there, there was an anointing that would take place. And so she's doing that here even, even well before he's even been, been killed. Um, and the fact that it says this is going to be told in memory of her, um, I think probably, one, because of the fact that she did, take seriously the things Jesus had taught. But I think the real key here is what's said there in verse 8. Yes. She's done what she could. You know, she did something here that was, I mean, for, for all we know, this was probably the most expensive possession that she had. When it says there that this could have been sold for 300 denarii, a denarii, one denarii was a day's wage. So if you figure 300, you're talking about essentially about a year's worth of salary. That's a pretty, you know, think about what you would buy with a year's worth of salary. Um, this is an expensive thing that she has done, and Jesus credits that to her, uh, that she's done what she could. Uh, she couldn't do everything. Uh, maybe she wanted to do more, yeah. but she did what she could. And there's just a, a oodles of lessons just in that in and of itself that that's all the Lord calls us to do. You know, we, we talk all day about all the things I can't do and wish I could do. Uh, the Lord doesn't ask you to do stuff that you can't do. The Lord just wants you to do what you can do. Yeah, and uh, you got to appreciate it's it's symbolic too that she she's understanding and she's serving Jesus even up to the point of of death. Doing, I mean, what can you do to yeah, you know, uh, once you know that someone's about to lose everything, what do you give them? Yeah, and she she's just like the most I can do here is just soothe him onto onto the grave. Yeah. And you know, maybe they did, maybe she didn't fully understand that he was going to be raised. Maybe but, not. But Jesus, I'm, her heart is most assuredly in the right place. Yeah. And that's and actually, I even think Mark records this followed by the next couple of verses and puts those back to back for a reason. This is she is in sharp contrast to Judas, because notice what's said true. about Judas. Look at verse ten, eleven. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, he went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. We know, of course, uh, from the other passages that that amount of money that he was betrayed for was 30 shekels of silver. Now, we don't know exactly how much that was. One, one writer guessed that if this is talking about sanctuary shekels, like, like Jewish shekels that was used for Jewish money, yeah. then that shekel was the equivalent to today of 72 cents per coin. Man. Do the math on that. That's twenty-one dollars and sixty cents. Now, that may be undershooting it, but let's let's be generous. Let's say that a shekel was the equivalent of a thousand dollars. All right, thirty thousand bucks. Still, is that like a high enough price point to betray Jesus for? 
No, I mean, that wouldn't be a high enough price point to betray a sinner. Yeah. $30,000. Yeah, mean. there's there's no amount that would be worth it to betray Jesus for. But just, let's, let's just do the contrast. Well, there's no amount. I would not betray anyone, actually, just for the record. That's, but. Well, that's right. That's right. But especially <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Um, this needs to be said. There's, I wouldn't, for, for 40K, I wouldn't betray anybody. But. Yeah. But here we have this sincere-hearted woman, mm-hmm. and she's doing all that she can for Jesus. And on the other hand, here is this black-hearted man. Just totally incongruent. Yes, selling Jesus out for nothing. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, of course, later on when Judas regrets it, uh, he tries to give the money back, you know, uh, which shows just really in the end how insignificant you know money is yeah. uh, in, in in comparison to having an, an actual relationship with the Lord. I mean, we're going to talk about this more later, obviously, in this chapter. But just Judas, who he was, highlights like every problem that mankind has had, from the Garden to Babylon to you name it, wherever you want to go to in the Old or New Testament. It's a, it's just this self-willed, incongruent, like broken in half humanity mm-hmm. that we see in him, where he's he's fully given to this idea of oh the gospel of wealth and and money is going to save me and give me value in this world. Yeah, yeah, and um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll have more to say about Judas here uh, as we proceed through the rest of this chapter. I'm just cool with just trash talking Judas for like the rest of this chapter, chat, and just closing the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's certainly, I mean, of course, the, the Old Testament alludes to the fact that that this guy is going to do this, and yeah. um, he's one of those people that. I mean, it's certainly not our place to judge, and we always make that point clear, but it does seem as if the biblical narrative pretty well spells out his judgment, yeah. you know, already for us. Uh, but let's not revel in that. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, I mean, there's no uh, nothing good about what he did. Um, Definitely not, no. Nothing honorable in it, and, there's, and, and we're not going to be glad of the fact that Judas... You know, is more than likely destined for an eternity in hell. But what I am, what I, what I am saying is, there's plenty of sermon there about what we cannot. We need need. to learn from him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So verse twelve. After now the 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 wheels are in motion, Judas lets the chief priest know. All right, I'm going to get you what you need. You guys are wanting to do this secretly. Um, I think I can arrange for that to happen. So back to the disciples. Verse twelve. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat this Passover? Now, let's, let's, uh, let's just try to think about this. We've got a couple things kind of working here. There is the actual observance of, of Passover week festivities and all the things that go along with that. So that's, that's literally happening. But there's also this kind of this metaphorical sense in which these th- same things are happening. Um, hey, we got to find us a Passover lamb to be sacrificed. Well, on this very same occasion, Judas is going to find the Passover lamb and have him delivered to be sacrificed. Yes. And that, of course, is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we need to just kind of, try, as best we can, try to see that Jesus is actually fulfilling the very things that these Old Testament shadows were uh, designed to be a picture of later on. It's parabolic. Yes. It's the laying beside. Yes. And it's exactly the way. This is what's beautiful about the gospel. Jesus taught this way, seeing physical things and spiritual things laying beside each other. Mm-hmm. 
and then we see that culminating in the cross. Yeah. And it is laid aside, laying alongside. Yep. It's, it's great. We'll talk about that more when we get yeah. to the cross. But yeah. <laughs> so where will you have us go to prepare uh, to eat the Passover? And it, this is once again, I want us to see what we saw a couple chapters ago: how Jesus is in such control of everything. You know, if this was me, and I was, and I knew I was nearing the last couple of days on, on Earth, and I knew the pain that was awaiting me. I probably would be nervous as all get out. Mm -hmm. You know, I just would be, I'd be a mess. Jesus is in total control, and we see that. So verse 13, he sends two of his disciples, and he says to them, Go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water is going to meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where's my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he's going to show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There you prepare for us. So Jesus has just all this just mapped out to a T. Yeah. You know, even some, some details here that are like, I, I don't even know that there's supposed to be some significance to them, but like you're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. You know, follow that guy and, and, and do this and then do that. Verse 16. And so the disciples set out and went to the city, and they found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 17 now. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is, is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So if you know the other accounts, Matthew and Luke and John, you know there's lots of other things that happen in the upper room on this night. There's yes. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That takes place on this occasion. Um, and some other things. There's, there's further conversation here. Mark's just kind of getting down to brass tacks. He's going to straight to the, to the issue of, of, of the betrayal. Uh, in just a minute, he's going to show the institution of the Lord's Supper, and then there's going to be the talking about uh, Peter's denial, Jesus' foretelling of that. Um, but he makes it known to them right here that what was said of me uh, in the Old Testament, it's fixing to happen. And the reference here is to Psalm chapter 41, and in verse 9, where the psalmist records there, uh, this is actually a psalm of David, and now here's Jesus all these centuries later, he's going to ascribe this to himself, that even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Yes. And that's significant because it's not just that this was you know, just a, a disciple and a follower of Jesus that's doing this. It's a friend. It's a friend. And that kind of just makes this even more heart-wrenching and... And poignant, the fact that Jesus considered Judas a friend. This is someone he's laughed with and sat with and ate with many a time yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, this is a, uh, for the better part of the last you know two and a half to three years now, uh, and we've kind of zipped through this in fast forward, but for a long time he's devoted his, his heart and his life to, to this man. And serving and, him. And serving him, that's exactly right. You know, the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet on this occasion Judas was there and had his feet washed by the Lord. And here in just a moment, he's going to get up from the table and he's going to go and do what, uh, you know, what, what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, and so Jesus is, is emphasizing this. And I, I'll tell you, verse 19, I always appreciate uh, the fact that 
here Jesus is speaking his words, and the apostles, one by one, uh, they take personal the application of his words. When they all ask, is, is me? You know, am, am I going to be the one to do this? Um, and that's important. I, I say all of that to just kind of make a side point about whenever we're hearing the word of the Lord Think being about proclaimed, I need, I need to be thinking about, is, is, that, is that talking to me? What is that saying to Not, me? Is that Judas over there? Is that him? Yeah. We, we all thought he was sketchy from the beginning. Yeah, we, we, and, and we have a tendency to do that sometimes when yes. we're sitting and we're hearing preaching and we think, oh, I tell you what, Brother Bill, he needs to hear this. Oh, I wish Sister, you know, Sister Absentee was here to hear this sermon on church attendance. Especially when you're close with other people and you know their struggles, I think yeah. the devil will tempt you with those and be like, you need to think about them during this. But yeah, you know, we we all struggle, and I think I think it's mature of them at this point to ask, "Is it I?" Because they realize it's the well, it's the beginning of maturity because they're realizing like I'm. I'm not perfect. Yeah, like I'm. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I could fall in this way. That's right. There um, is some some understanding of personal implications, and um, yeah, and that is key. And unfortunately, we're going to see here in a minute with Peter. Uh, he still struggles with that probably more than the rest of them because he's going to say, "Well, I know I, I, I can't. I'm, I'll never do that, Lord." Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Before that happens, that voice you just did was cartoonish. Yeah, sorry. That was that was my best. That, that's exactly what I think Peter talks like. <laughs> Um, verse 22, before that, here is the Lord's Supper institution. Verse 22, so as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, Take, this is my body. Mm-hmm. Not literally, obviously. Yeah. It's, a, it's a representation of, of his body. I just point that out to say uh, this concept that uh, the Catholic Church and others teach of transubstantiation, that, that somehow we're literally eating the flesh of Jesus when we take the Lord's Supper, that's that's not what Jesus is going for here. Can't be because, I mean, his body's right there yes. when he's doing this. And they're not eating his body. Yeah. Yeah, that would make them cannibals. It'd be a pretty weird interpretation of this. Yeah. Thing. Well, that's just your interpretation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> verse 23, he then took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. Mm-hmm. So the fruit of the vine, which is a representation of, of his blood. Verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Yes. Uh, which that's kind of a, a, a really awesome thought to think about, that um, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, um, there's a sense in which Jesus is communing with us in that moment. Yes. Um, you know, it's the very promise that's made here in verse 25. Well, that's when we're just reaffirming the covenant that we're in. Yes. Uh, Jesus is part of that covenant. That's right. And so how much gravity does that give when we think about that when we're taking the Lord's Supper that like the Lord is communing with us right now. You know, the Lord's feasting with us in this moment. Yeah. Uh, that ought to really change our mindset in that moment uh, if, it's, if it's not in a proper, a proper frame. And, and that and the, the, the vertical relationship with the Lord and the horizontal thing that's going on with all of our brethren around us. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're participating in that promise together. Yeah. And and we're being with Jesus together as an activity. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It's humbling. So, uh, as the evening progresses, uh, verse 26 then says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And I I'll be honest with you, there's something about that that uh, kind of the older I get it, the thought of that kind of chokes me up a little bit. And I guess I wonder, what hymn did they sing? What was the words of that song? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, because there's moments and there's been occasions where I've, you know, kind of, I think about the other day when we went to the, to the home of our, our most elderly member and we sung together. And for that occasion, those songs that we sang just had just extra weight to them. You know, yeah. How we you... sing those same songs in our assemblies regularly. Yeah, but it was because of the moment and the environment and the circumstances of what was going on. It just it just made it extra powerful. I mean, we sang "How Beautiful Heaven Must Be." Yeah, and we went outside and we. I was thinking about this, and this is an aside. Just sharing this with everybody who's listening too. We went outside and everybody was. You know, we were we were like, let's take a picture outside. The sun was shining beautifully. We were all gathered under this big magnolia yeah. tree and like seeing everybody and seeing all their smiling faces and all the hope and the joy that was there. Man, that was just awesome because it's like. This is what it's going to be like. I yeah. mean, you know. So I mean, I was having visions of the the tree of life and stuff like that. You know, yeah. all of us gathered around. Well, there's just something about the power of a song, and, yeah. and this is one of those. It's a little. There's not a lot said here, but it just when you stop and think about it and put it in the context of what's happening and what's about to happen, the fact that they took time to sing a song together, um, it says to me we should never diminish the power of of, of singing hymns. Yeah. Um, I think we should just randomly sing more often as brethren, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Oh, well, we're all hanging out at somebody's house. You guys want to just do a sing? Do a little singing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Ride in the car with me and you'll you'll get you'll get plenty of that. Oh, <laughs> uh, we do that. <laughs> <clears throat> so they sang this song. They go out to the Mount of Olives, which is a, a place where Jesus had spent many different moments with uh, the apostles. And he's going to have even more before it's all said and done. Um, verse 27, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. Oh, wow. Okay, so we said this about Judas is going to betray, or at least one of them is going to betray. But now he's saying you're all going to fall away. Uh, and I don't think it means like you're all going to like, you know. Completely lose faith. Yeah, no, what he means here is you're all going to, 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 to scatter here in this moment for he it's written. Explains yeah, what he's saying. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Again, that's an Old Testament quotation. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And here's where Peter's, you know, foot and mouth disease that Peter has. Peter says, well, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So they followed Peter's bad example. Yeah, so here's Peter's leaven having, a, having an effect on the others. But, of course, it, it, and once again, of course it's Peter. Of course he's going to be the one to, to jump in here and uh, just be the leader. You know, there, there was never any at any point where Jesus designated any one apostle to be the leader of the rest of them. But Peter does seem to kind of take that role upon himself a lot the, of times. He has the type A personality. Yes. Yeah. Um, and just asserts, well, you know, no, I can't speak for the rest of these other yahoos over here, but I'm not going to, Lord. And Honestly, uh, though, when he said that, he contradicted Jesus' own words. Yeah. So that's just foolish. And contra- yeah, he, he, so he contradicted <laughs> Old Testament scripture that Jesus was quoting and then contradicted the very words of the Lord as he spoke them from his very own mouth. And, and he so, said, that's not true, Jesus. Yeah. And, well, we've, already, and we've already seen that before, you yeah. know, where he's, he's done that, tell, trying to tell Jesus, no, 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 of course not. That's not how it's going to be, Jesus. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. There's, there, again, there's part of me that with Peter, I, I can appreciate his 
some confidence yeah. there. His pride's not the same as Judas's. No, no. But it is still pride. It is still pride. It's it's well-intentioned, but it's still pride. And his pride is going to be able to be curbed, and Jesus realizes that, and yeah. that's why he continues to work with him. We talked about this before. His greatest weakness becomes his greatest strength later on. That's right. That's yeah. right. And we'll see it on display when you get to the book of Acts. Um, it's the Rudolph effect. Yeah. So verse 32 now. Um... Then they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. There's that, that core. And, and kind of t- takes them off, presumably, a little, little deeper into the garden. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And when he says watch, uh, it could be kind of a dual meaning. One may be, you know, watch for what may be coming. Yeah. You know, uh, there's going to be people coming with torches and swords and stuff here in just a minute. But also just the idea of just just be alert, be yeah. pay attention. Yeah, just be just be mindful with me of of what's going on. Verse thirty five. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, of course, it's been noted before that that use of that word Abba, it's an Aramaic term, and it conveys the idea of of father in like the most intimate sense that that like a child could say. Papa. Yes, this is like when when my daughter comes to me and she says, she says, Daddy, Mm -hmm. and then whatever follows. Like, she has a little extra piece of my heart when I hear, you know, what she's going to say prefaced by by Daddy. Yeah, and that's that, that that's what's going on here when Jesus says this. It's and he's able to say that in in, in the fullest sense uh, that God was his Father here, and it's not just this stilted stoic father son relationship. There's more uh, there than that. Yeah, it's intimate. Yes, uh, and so he makes this request uh, of you know. It, it, could there be some other way, Father? You know, is there some other way that this could be done? Uh, but he does that tempered with, you know, even though I'm making this request, it's not what I want; it's what you want. And uh, and that's where we, you know, we 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 follow that pattern oftentimes in our own praying, as we should. Yeah. That there's some things that we don't always know the specific will of God about, and so it's very appropriate for for us to say, you know, not our will but yours be done. Uh, yeah. You know, you know if, what's best for us. Yes, if it be your will, help Sister So-and-so to, to, to recover from her sickness. Yeah. Maybe it's not God's will, but this is what we want, and so we're asking, you know, just whatever is within your will, we yeah. we want to be part of I that. Mean, we were just talking last night about how tragic things can be for the greater good. Yeah, so that's right. So verse 37, Jesus then came and he found, well, he found him sleeping. And he said to Peter, and it, it's it's fitting that he would say this to Peter because Peter was the one that just a few minutes earlier was all Mr. Big and Bold. Simon, are you asleep? <laughs> Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's just saying this again with full knowledge of what Peter is going to do here in just, just a little while. But he wouldn't be the Lord if he didn't give him rebuke anyway. yeah. yeah. There's there is there is such a a father son relationship with Jesus and Peter. I don't know that we've actually said that in any of the studies thus far, but 
that's the way that I see it. Yeah. Uh, is it, it is almost like a father and son. I realize that's Jesus it. didn't have actual children, but Peter probably was the closest to a, a child. And that's probably why we read so much of you know, him being maybe what we may perceive as being a little harder on Peter. Yeah. Um, I kind of see it too as being like an older brother. Kind of that too. You know, like yeah. a little the little dumb brother who can't get it together. And he's like, come <laughs> on. You know, comes in there and flicks him on the back of the head. Like, get it. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Are you sleeping? Come on, dude. Yeah. Um, but it's a serious business here. And, and come on, man. I, I, I made kind of really a modest request of you guys. Yeah. You know, just, just stay awake with me for a little bit. I know it's late in the evening at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long day. Um, but I need you right now. Yeah. That, that, that was the significance of bringing Peter, James, and John with him into kind of that, that more intimate setting is... I need you guys. I need my brothers yeah, right now. He could do it alone, but I mean, he's human too. That's right. And, and we're pack animals. So that's right. And we're, we're definitely, we, we need to emphasize that we're seeing so much of Jesus' humanity being played out here in this, this particular chapter. I mean, we didn't say it a minute ago, but I mean, just imagine how hard it had to have been for Jesus to acknowledge. You're going to betray me. That Jesus, you're going to betray me. Yeah, I mean, you're my friend, you know, and and there had to be sadness in that. Jesus did not take. I don't think he took any delight in having to state the fulfillment of what had been, you know, said long ago. Yeah, that this is going to happen. It's not like he's so much preaching at Judas as he's just like, I hate to say this, but this is going to happen, and I know what you're going to do to me. Um, yeah, it's this just the humanity of the Lord uh, evident, I think, in all this, even if it's not explicitly stated. Verse 39, so after saying this to Peter, again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. And so Jesus, obviously having you know supernatural knowledge, he knows, he knows what's going on, even though he's not seeing it with his physical eyes at that moment. Uh, he knows that the deed, the transaction's already taken place and that they're on their way uh, to find them. And so, hey, we're not going to run from this. Let's just go. Yeah, where is happening? Before Jesus would try to avoid being arrested to some degree, um, oh yes, and he had been. There was moments during the early stages of his ministry where, like, you know, he knew that people were were out to get him, and so he intentionally went to a different region. Yeah. And the reason for that was because it wasn't time. It wasn't time. You know, there was still work to do. But now, all the teaching's been done. All of the preparations been made. Everything. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's the moment. All of yeah. God's plan, all the way from eternity past. Think about this. Everything from the Old Testament. Everything we've studied in Mark. Now it's time. The table is set for the Passover. Yep, that's right. Go back to that Passover imagery. Now it's time for the lamb to be, uh, to, to be brought forth. So verse 43. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. Mark keeps reminding us, every time he mentions Judas, he mentions that he was one of the twelve. And I think that's just to emphasize the, the, the seriousness of the fact that one of Jesus' own uh, has, has orchestrated this. And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying that the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. 
But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Um, you put together the other accounts and you find out this is Peter. Yeah, uh, what a surprise. Yeah. Uh, and, you know... It's what I probably would have done in this situation. That's, I, I, I think a lot of uh, men... You know, we, we if we have that kind of hardwired into our DNA, that's that is our reaction to protect the people that we that we love. Uh, so he strikes the, the the servant of the high priest, cuts off his ear. Uh, again, the other uh, accounts tell us this is a servant by the name of Malchus. Um, and of course, uh, Mark doesn't go into the details here, but Jesus ends up uh, yeah, he restoring is. the man's ear, ear and heals him. But does a miracle uh, when. That would probably be the last thing I'd be thinking about is I wouldn't be worried at all about that guy's ear. Uh, yeah, Jesus does. Um, and, and there's a point to that, and that's because Jesus is wanting Peter and the rest of them to understand, look, this isn't about fighting some physical war. Uh, you guys have been thinking about a physical kingdom and physically overtaking Rome and yeah. all this stuff. That's not what I'm about. I think part of him healing the ear is to just say, like like you said, this is not physical, but... It basically canceling out the idea of any physical resistance to this yes. at all. Yes. Any try, trying to enforce this kingdom physically, even cutting off a guy's ear, whatever yeah. you try to do to make that's not the way. Yep. That's not how this is going to be done. He's he Jesus is going to be the Isaiah fifty three lamb, like a lamb to the slaughter, you know, that doesn't doesn't open his mouth, doesn't yeah. doesn't fight back and resist. He goes willingly. Everything yeah. about this is again, it's very intentional and he's He's, yeah. he's, he's doing this voluntarily. So they laid their hands on him and seized him. Uh, oh, we've already read that. But one of those who drew, uh, stood by drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. Verse 48 now. Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? You know, Come hmm. on, guys. You, you all have seen me operate for these last three years. You think I'm going to fight you now? Yeah. You know, after every other occasion... Uh, when maybe there would have been you know reason to get mad. I mean, the the, the most volatile thing Jesus did was flipping the tables. Yeah. Uh, maybe that spooked him, and that's why they brought the clubs. Maybe so. Uh, but Jesus says that, that there, there's no way I'm not going to do that. It's Day funny. Is, it's funny though because if they if Jesus wanted to, he could just I mean he could just and just make their swords turn into butterflies. And oh yeah. Just yeah. Fly off into the wind. And this well this is also the occasion uh, again Mark doesn't record it but this is the occasion where Jesus utters that statement where you know don't you know that I could call down you know so many legions of angels and to you know rescue me right here in this moment. I could do that right now yeah. but I'm not doing it. I'm showing great restraint and that's really yeah. one of the the great uh, qualities of Jesus that impresses me the most is uh, his willpower and the restraint that he exercises so often, and right here especially. Yes. Day after day, he says, verse 49, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. So Jesus is now going to allow himself to be taken into the hands of these just lawless men. And verse 50 then says, and they all left, that is all of his disciples, they all left him and they fled. Cool, so they all, yeah, they all scatter like like cockroaches um, when the door opens, and we then get this little nugget in verses fifty one and fifty two that only Mark records, and it puzzles a lot of people as to why on earth this is included. So let's look at it, verse fifty one, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. That is the these soldiers. They seize him. But he left the linen cloth, and he ran away naked. Yeah, okay. Uh, I read some commentaries about this, and 
it was honestly all just ridiculously convoluted interpretations. I actually don't think we need to read all kinds of hidden stuff into this. I actually think that the answer to it is connected right to that little statement in verse 50. Um, the first thing about the young man, there's some that speculate that possibly could this be John Mark, the very author of this gospel. Hmm. Some have speculated that that's possible because, uh, like, for example, in John's gospel, John never really identifies himself by name. It could have been a cultural way of writing or something. Yeah, you just kind of talk about yourself in the third person uh, a little bit. And so it's possible, I guess, but there's not really anything in the text that demands that it's Mark. Honestly, though, if this was Mark, it would make sense for him to not name himself because that's pretty embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the point of this, the purpose of mentioning this, I believe, is to just emphasize why the other disciples didn't stay with Jesus. Yeah. This mob that had come in the middle of the night, they weren't just after Jesus. They were coming after anybody who was associated with Jesus. Mm-hmm. They were wanting to round them up too. And so uh, this just kind of, I imagine this young man is just probably somebody who, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, he had woke up and he had just put on, you know, this, this towel or a blanket or whatever around him and he comes out to see what's going on and he had, is a follower of Jesus. But as soon as, uh, you know, as soon as all the other disciples start scattering like, like rats, I mean, he's going to start running too, and they're able to catch him, but he just lets go of yeah. the, the, the linen cloth and keeps running. He does the Joseph thing whenever yeah. Potiphar's wife, hey, take the clothes and everything. I don't care. I'm out of here. Um, but that, that's, I think that's the only significance of this. Um, yeah. So verse 53. Enough said. Yeah, that's all I want to say about that. Verse 53, they then led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. All right, the high priest here is Caiaphas. Mm -hmm. And this mentioning of the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, this is the Sanhedrin council. Uh, This would kind of be like, you know, maybe like what would be the equivalent to us of like the Supreme Court. These are the people who in, in Israel, in Jewish culture, they're the ones who judged and made decisions. And the whole concept of the Sanhedrin Council uh, was this is probably made up of 70 men, and it was based upon the Old Testament idea of the 70 men that Moses was to choose who were supposed to help him lead and judge various affairs that would happen in Israel. Numbers 11, verse 16. So, but this wasn't an Old Testament command to have a council like this. No. I, I, again, it's one of those things where something that started out as a good thing originally and mm-hmm. kind of evolved over time to where, if I had to guess, I think this this version of the Sanhedrin Council, yeah. this isn't really what God wanted and intended for His people. Yeah. But it is what it had evolved into. Uh, and so again, these are this is just, again, the collective group of, of people. Like I said, 70 people plus the, plus the high priest, 71 men, who, again, were to determine and judge on, on legal matters and matters of the law. And, and that's what's going on here with Jesus. All yeah. right, we're going to bring a charge against him, uh, or at least we're looking for some charge to bring against him so that we can then destroy him. So verse 54. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, and he was warming himself at the fire. So just kind of keep in mind that that Peter is kind of in the background here. He's wanting to be able to observe as much as he can without being noticed. Uh, So that's why he's following at a distance. So we'll at least give Peter that. Yeah. I mean, there's no mention of the other disciples, you know, following along. Just trying to see what he can see. Yeah. it is worth noting, though, he's there warming himself by the fire. And I often think about how, you know, 
how often when we keep a distance from Jesus, we end up warming ourselves around the devil's fire and we're around people that we really shouldn't be around. Yeah. And here in just a minute, we're going to see Peter saying and doing things that I don't think is normally typical of, of Peter. But when you keep yourself at distance from the Lord, you end up doing and saying things that are not... not when he very... was right there with Jesus, it was pretty easy for him to say those things. Yeah. I'll never leave you. Yeah. Um, so verse 55... Now the chief priests and the whole council, they were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many had bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Of course, under yeah. the old law, you had to have the uh, two or three witnesses in order to confirm something. And so they got all these people that are willing to come forward and like essentially lie, but they couldn't get two or three people that could tell the same lie at the same time. Uh, you know, if you put enough mon- monkeys with typewriters in a room, they're going to write Shakespeare. But these guys can't even can't even just <laughs> yeah. accidentally fall into yeah. lying to get yeah. about Jesus. So verse 57, some had stood up and bore false witness against him saying, well, we heard him say, I'll destroy this temple that's made with hands and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. And, and that was kind of a misconstruing of some of the things that Jesus had said. You know, He had yeah. said that stuff about the temple, about how the temple was, was the physical temple would be destroyed. He had said that to some of his disciples. Yeah. And he had also on another occasion talked about the temple of his body and the, yeah. the idea of three days it being resurrected and being built up. Um, notice this, verse 59. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And so the high priest stood up in the midst and he asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? Why is it that these men testify against you? So evidently here Caiaphas just kind of gets aggravated because they can't get what they want. And so like, all right, Jesus, what do you got to say? Maybe we can just milk a confession of some sort out of him. All of these people saying all these things, even though they don't agree, at least indicates there's something rotten about you. Something about you that just doesn't, just isn't right and isn't, isn't good. Yeah. Or verse, maybe you're just convicting everyone and they want you to go away. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, verse 61, Jesus does probably one of the most powerful things you can do in a moment like that. He remains silent and he made no answer. Like the, 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 the things you say, they're not even worth me yeah. responding to. But again, this also is that fulfillment of Isaiah 53 of the, you know, the, the, the lamb that was brought before. Uh, it's it's it shears is is silent. Yeah. Um, he doesn't need to bite back about these things. Yeah. So then then Caiaphas just asked him more plainly. He asked him, "Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed?" And Jesus said, and this is one of the very few times in all the Gospels where Jesus just kind of flat out responds and says this openly, "I am." And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and he said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. So we've gotten Jesus to just say something that clearly we believe is in opposition to what the Scriptures teach. Um, he's now a blasphemer, and now we've got more than two or three witnesses. We've got 71 people here who have heard what yeah. he said. Uh, we don't need any further testimony. Now let's, let's go forward with what we need. But again, it's dishonest because he, that there was no deliberation about, wait, could this be the Christ? Right. Could, could he be serious? Because if there was, then they would understand that he is fulfilling all these prophecies 
And they are fulfilling Isaiah 53 yeah. right now. Yeah. They are doing it right now. Yeah. It's, 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 that's why this is referred to as just a, it's a sham of a trial. Uh, yeah. it's, it's kangaroo court. Yeah. Um, I, I, for the longest time, I'd, I'd never paid much attention to verse um, 65. Yeah. Uh, and it, 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 when, when it kind of hit me a few years ago studying this, it, 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 it took my breath away thinking about it. Um, that they covered his face, yeah. they blindfolded him, and they're hitting him while he's blindfolded. Um, I mean, it's one thing to go up and like hit somebody in the face like while they're looking at you. Yeah. I mean, that would be bad enough. You can't brace yourself. You though. can't brace yourself when, when you can't see. And they're adding on top of that the mockery of prophesy. Like, hey, which one hit you? Was it me? Yeah. Or was it me over here? Or was it me over here? Was it me over here? You know, come on, you know, you're the son of God. Tell us who was it that did this. And everything about this is just vile. It very is. I mean, and it doesn't matter. If, if this Jesus, is just sin. Even if Jesus had been the most despicable criminal and sinner, no human being should ever be treated. Should ever be treated like this. And especially yeah. in this case because this is a completely innocent man. Yeah. And I've had people say things like, I've had religious conversations with people that don't even consider themselves Christians, but, you know, they might be a new agey spiritualist or whatnot, and they'll say things like, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God or called himself the Son of God. Other people just called him that. But right here he just says, I am. Yeah. Which, it's uh, that's what's amazing to me, is that they can then do this stuff to him. Yeah. That they can they can go through with this. Not even giving, I don't I mean, it doesn't seem like they're even giving second thought to, what if we're wrong? Yeah. What if he actually is the Messiah? Well, and I, I'm going to I'm gonna hope that in the course of the, the days and weeks that followed after these events, that at least some of those very same individuals did come to the realization they were wrong. Maybe like some three of days those, later. Yeah, and, and well, and especially a few weeks later when you know on the day of Pentecost and they hear Peter preach and yes. all the pieces get connected together and I'm hoping they some of those guys were in that audience and said you know men and brethren what should we do? Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, this is troubling. This is this is hard for me uh, to read without getting uh, a little bit emotional. Uh, just picturing it in my in my mind's eye. This uh, is our best friend. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we talk a lot about the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross, and, and there's no doubt about it that was torturous. But he suffered tremendously before he ever even got to the cross. Oh yeah, I mean, and, and even we talk about the scourging before the cross, and that was a big deal too. He suffered even before the scourging. All of this here, the the mental and the emotional, and certainly the physical pain that he's enduring. Uh, right here, the agony that he endured in the garden that we just read about a moment ago. Yeah, I was gonna say he lost all of his friends. They were unattentive, yeah. inattentive to him. They weren't there for him at all. They he witnessed a whole group of people come to treat him like a criminal. With literally, this is our, our equivalent today of being held at gunpoint. Yeah, uh, you know, swords and clubs, and he watched all of his friends scatter off into the night. And at this point now, you know, like you said, he's being beaten, blindfolded. Yep. Um. Well, speaking of his, his friends, uh, Peter is still kind of hanging around. Yeah. Uh, so let's pick that up, verse 66. Yeah, it doesn't get better. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, 
you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I, I, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him, and she began again to say to the bystanders, This man, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. Now imagine there were probably just physical features about Peter. Uh, the fact that he was a fisherman. and uh, th That probably led people to just kind of put some pieces together. Look, you're not from around here. It's like when we see... Uh, when we see somebody that has really, really tan skin yeah. and dark hair, hey, could you be from like an Arab country? Yeah. You know, maybe we, we make that assumption. Yeah. Or, um, Are you Hispanic or... Yes. Uh, and so so even if these people had never seen Peter before, they're, they're asking, hey, you, you're not from around here. And what other reason would you have to be here right now in this moment other than you're associated with that yeah, guy? I mean, not only that too, but Jesus, I mean, he was making his rounds in the area. So, I mean, they might have seen him... Yeah, was walking around with crowds. Yeah, you know. So verse seventy-one. Here's kind of the icing on the cake for Peter. Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, "I do not know this man of whom you speak." So here's Peter. It's not just even just denying, but it's like now he's speaking and acting in a way that is very unbecoming of a disciple. Yeah. Um, and again, that's what happens when you pull yourself away from the Lord. Uh, you start saying and doing things that are that are not. Um, just certainly not disciple-like, not Christ-like. And immediately, verse 72, the rooster crowed that second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Jesus gave him an audible reminder. Yeah. Well, and there was even, and Mark doesn't include it here, the other gospel account does, there was even that visible reminder too because it says that before Jesus was taken away, he turns and he looks at Peter. Yeah. And Peter sees him looking at him. And imagine that, and that sends a chill down my spine to think about. Um, you know, so you hear the, hear the rooster crow. You lock eyes with Jesus for that split second. And the realization that I've, I've failed the Lord. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'd, I'd want to give Peter some credit because uh, it seems like he does a little bit better than. You know the other eleven guys certainly, certainly better than than Judas, um, but um, there's still the recognition that that I've that I've failed Christ, and yeah. th there's probably we we can relate to Peter here. Probably you know, I can't relate to Judas. I, I can't say that there's ever been a moment in my life where I've completely sold out the Lord, sold out my you know my relationship with Him, but in kind of a a, a halfway sense. Mm -hmm. Probably on a daily basis at various points. And yes, I do the Peter thing here, yeah. where I deny the Lord in in in, in small ways. Yeah, as but, a, as a Christian, I've never said I want to completely give up Christ and right. give me twenty dollars and I'm good. Yeah, you know, but but it, in small ways we do we sell him out um, uh, for the fleeting passing pleasures of sin and. Um, and we're, we're we're doing the Peter thing. We're denying the Lord, and well, the, the good news is with Peter, you know, um, he's going to repent. You know, yeah. later on, Jesus is after he raises from the dead, he's going to get Peter alone, and he's going to tell them, tell him, you know, uh, you know, feed my lambs, and you know, I've got essentially the idea is, is I've got great plans for you, uh, yeah. and I know you're serious about about being one of my one of my people. Well, um, Peter's going to repent in a mighty way. Yeah, later on in the Book of Acts, and. Yeah. 
Uh, and he won't deny Jesus. He'll preach Jesus. Probably, to, like you said, some of these same men that carried him away. Yeah. This chapter is a good chapter to see just some sharp contrasts. Uh, Mary and Judas, Peter and Judas. And we just got to think about where where we're going to be uh, in that equation uh, yeah. as to which which side we're going to be on. We have to realize that we're in the. I mean, we're the. We're we've been in Judas's position before becoming a Christian, mm-hmm. and as Peter, we've the same as Peter has done. We've stumbled as Christians and denied Jesus in different accounts, and that could even be just keeping your mouth shut when you need to open it about something. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, I think what we need to see in this so far is that we're we're responsible for the things that are happening to Jesus for our sin. Yeah. So that's that's the reason he had to come. Well, so this is late into the Thursday night of that week. Now, really, probably it's actually maybe in the early morning hours of of Friday when all of these things are taking place. Um, so we're we're here uh, at the moment for the Lamb to actually be sacrificed. And so that's where we leave off at chapter 14. And chapter 15, we'll then uh, we'll talk about the actual crucifixion of Jesus. Yeah. Any other thoughts on 14 before we close? Yeah, there's no way to end this on a positive note, but I hope you'll listen to the next one. Um, we're going to see uh, the culmination of all these things that God has promised is going to be awesome. I love everybody that's tuned in so far. Uh, thankful for you guys. All right, that wraps us up for today. We'll talk about chapter 15 next week.